Welcome to another UCTV.TV podcast presented by University of California Television. Again, my name is Father Cleet Kiley. I'm the president of the Faith and Politics Institute. And on behalf of our board of directors and our staff, I am very pleased to welcome you to this forum. I think it's a very exciting forum and the beginning of a conversation, certainly not the last word. The Faith and Politics Institute was founded over 16 years ago by a member of the House of Representatives, a Methodist minister, and a couple of friends. Their idea was to foster understanding and an appreciation of the inner life and to open spaces for bipartisan and interfaith community and spiritual reflection right here on Capitol Hill. Since its founding, the Institute has held thousands of reflection groups, hosted scores of lectures and discussions, and led more than 100 members of Congress on pilgrimages and retreats. This annual Caps Emerson Forum has become also one of the highlight programs of the Institute. It honors the enduring contribution of two extraordinary members of the House of Representatives who died ahead of their time. The Honorable Walter Capps was the Democratic representative from California's 23rd District. In his life, he was recognized as a distinguished professor and teacher, and he is well remembered here in the House of Representatives as a real gentleman, a man of bipartisan spirit, and a caring and calming presence in a place that at times is filled with tremendous pressure and sometimes some partisan acrimony. Bill Emerson was a Republican representative from Missouri's 8th District. As a member, Bill had a passion to end world hunger. So deep was Bill's passion for this cause that Congress established the Bill Emerson Humanitarian Trust, which is a food reserve to help the most needy across the world. The Faith and Politics Institute is proud to present this seventh Caps Emerson Forum in honor of these two fine public servants. The John Fetzer Institute of Kalamazoo, Michigan, has long been a partner of the Faith and Politics Institute and has enabled this annual forum as well as many other programs. And tonight I would like to take the opportunity to thank the Fetzer Institute, their board and staff, and I'd like to say a brief word about Fetzer. The Fetzer Institute works with people and organizations around the world to bring the power of love and forgiveness to the center of our individual and community lives. In addition to their support for the various programs of the Faith and Politics Institute, the Fetzer Institute has developed the Deepening the American Dream essay series on the inner dimensions of the meaning of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, so important to the founding of this nation. The Fetzer Institute is currently partnering with the 12 presidential libraries to host community conversations around these themes. The Fetzer Institute has assisted the Faith and Politics Institute in our work here on the Hill by supporting programs, retreats, reflection groups, and pilgrimages for members, congressional staff, and the congressional community. Most recently, they've sponsored the Lincoln Leadership Series, which we were also pleased to be a part of. Finally, Fetzer is currently sponsoring the Campaign for Love and Forgiveness, which supports community conversations around the country 
using public television film documentaries to stimulate conversations on the place of love and forgiveness in our lives and in the world. You can learn more about the Fetzer Institute by visiting their website, www.fetzer.org. The Faith and Politics Institute is also pleased to welcome as a co-sponsor for this forum the Walter H. Capps Center for the Study of Ethics, Religion, and Public Life at the University of California at Santa Barbara. We are particularly grateful to Wade Clark Roof and the staff at the Capps Center for their collaboration. The Capps Center is kindly webcasting this forum, and we will be linking the webcast to our own website. We are also told that the University of California at Santa Barbara television station will be rebroadcasting this forum at a future time. A moment ago, I mentioned the high regard that congressional colleagues had for Walter Capps and Bill Emerson. Each of these men was succeeded in office by his wife. The Honorable Lois Capps represents that same 23rd District of California, and the Honorable Joanne Emerson represents that same 8th District of Missouri. Each carries on a wonderful legacy, but I have to say each has been elected and certainly established herself in her own right. Just take a look. We are grateful to both Lois and to Joanne for their ability to identify issues of enormous importance. These are two gifted women in political leadership who have the capacity to recognize old problems, and yet they have spirits free enough to think of new and creative solutions. I have to say also that Lois and Joanne are a joy to work with. They have been deeply connected with our work at the Faith and Politics Institute. And in a time when American politics can be pretty rough and tumble, these two women are, I think, about the best there is in American politics. The theme of tonight's lecture is both a source of deep concern and of a deep hope for both of them. When I first met Lois and Joanne, each mentioned to me their deep concern for how to bring peace to the Middle East. The problems seem intractable. Many have urged them to let that hope go. But when they became aware of the work of the Abraham Path Initiative at the Harvard Law School, they both said, why not take a look? It is that spirit of appreciative inquiry that our nation needs to see. And so at this moment, it really is a joy for me to welcome Lois Capps and Joanne Emerson. All right. Lois went first last time, so it's my turn this year. She informs me. Thank you all so very, very much for being here. I want to thank the Fetzer Institute and the CAPS Center for hosting this event tonight or for ma and for making it possible. And I want to thank Bill Urey for, for being here and trying to help us begin a very important dialogue which I think has great hope, and I'm appreciative of it. For those of you all who are unfamiliar with Lois and me, <laughs> we do a lot of work together, and I'm very proud of the, the work that Lois has done, not only in following the great work of her husband, Walter, but really in forging her own path. And I believe that 
that is was her mission in life, and I think that she has been extraordinarily successful. And it's really been fun because, you know, when the Republicans were in office uh, or had the leadership in the House, we could do certain things with me taking the lead, and now with the Democrats leading the thing, Lois takes the lead. The result is uh, generally the same, maybe with a little twist here or there, but at the end of the day, I strongly believe, as I know Lois does, that only by working together in the spirit of cooperation, irregardless of political party, can we solve the big problems this country faces and the world faces as well. So I just want to thank you all for being here. And Lois, thank, thank you. you for, and thank the center really for helping make this possible as well. Thank you. I can't believe that this is the seventh year. And I know that, um, uh, the first year, we, neither of us, we were still fairly new as members of Congress. It, it actually has been 10 years since we lost our husbands and found ourselves in this new role of um, being a member of Congress to complete a term, but then, as Father Cleet said, uh, we have to do things on our own because by this time, there are many members who are serving now with us, our colleagues, uh, Shelley Berkeley's here. Uh, Jim McDermott actually did know uh, our spouses, but and uh, and I know Fred Upton did as well. And Fred's wife Amy is on the board of Faith and Politics Institute, and other members may be coming too. But now we're to a point uh, at which there are many members who didn't serve with them. But the significant. What I'm so thankful to the Faith and Politics, Politics uh, Institute and also to Fetzer and to the Walter Cap Center is that this is much more than two men. It's really, and, and, nor, and two women, as good of friends as we are, um, it is about uh, that which we can look to for hope and guidance for the future, for peace, whether it's in issues having to do with hunger uh, here at home or around the world, uh, peace, as we'll now be exploring this evening in the Middle East, or any of the other issues that 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 call forth what we know um, uh, Bill and Walter stood for, which is a measure of civility and respect for differing viewpoints and a way to build common ground. Um, and and after all, as humans, there is so much more that binds us together than separates us. So the paths. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, and, and it's an honor to have uh, a way to carry this conversation forward in the various ways that it has happened over the last seven years and in the other things that happened because of the Faith and Politics Institute. I'm very indebted to the kind of leadership that happens um, uh, uh, here on the Hill when we have concerned people. I know all of you who've come out to hear this this evening, whether you're staff, whether you're community members, or maybe there's some folks listening on the media as well who care a lot about what happens in this nation of ours, care a lot about issues. And public policy is one of the ways that we hope to carry those dreams forward to the next generation. And sometimes, uh, I, I want to say a word about my friend Joanne, sometimes in this place here, and I think it's because the issues have so much at stake the turf gets real strong, and people want to stake out their claims, and then we get to be partisan and divided, and then the divisions seem to loom forward. But since the very beginning, I knew that, though she's across the aisle from me, that I could reach out to Joanne. And so are there, there are these qualities that we have as people, 
as serving in Congress, sometimes my constituents are surprised to find I say that, yeah, I really do like the people I work with in Washington, <laughs> D.C. Surprise. And, and that's what this opportunity allows us to come together uh, to work on. And so I, I want to say um, I also know about, uh, about Joanne that she has some beautiful daughters. I expect that my daughter is going to be coming in now who, who happens to be working here on the Hill. So there's family issues that, that bring us together as well. And I want to say again how much I know uh, that there's a way to peace and a way to exploring opportunities for that, that the wider community uh, and the people like uh, Dr. William Urey uh, can give us guidance for, that we can have this opportunity to come here on Capitol Hill and explore a way that this can push us forward and that they, uh, our communities can know that we who are in Congress, our staff and those who are supportive of this will listen and will want to be responsive and, and who do believe in our hearts that this is indeed possible. So thank you all and thank you, uh, Father Cleet, for giving us this opportunity yet again. And thank Dr. you. Yuri. Thank you all. They really are two very special ladies. The first time I had the opportunity to meet uh, Bill Urey, uh, we were involved in a project with a little bit different focus. And Bill said uh, to me along the way in the afternoon, he said, I'd like to know more about your organization. You use the word pilgrimage in some of your, one of your programs. And we began to have a conversation about pilgrimage. And Bill then began to share the work that they have been doing at the Abraham Path Initiative. And I found in Bill, at that moment, uh, a person who is a deeply contemplative. There's a, there's, a, there's a contemplative in him that runs very deep. Uh, he's not a monk, but there's a spirit in him that runs very deep. And I think that crosses the lines of our faith traditions, and, and, and uh, I think he's just a wonderful human being. I'm going to say a few things about his credentials. You have to do that at a gathering like this. But I wanted to say that about his spirit, first and foremost, because I think that's what you will treasure this evening. Bill uh, is internationally acknowledged as one of the main experts in negotiation and conflict management. He's the co-founder and director of the program on negotiation at the Harvard Law School, where he directs the Global Negotiation Project. He's the co-author of a little book called Getting to Yes, a five million uh, bestseller which is now translated into over 20 languages. He has also authored a book entitled The Power of a Positive No and Getting to Peace. In addition, Bill is a co-founder of the International Negotiation Network headed by former President Carter. He's worked in negotiation extensively in the Middle East and in countries of the former Soviet Union and in other parts of the world. He has received the Distinguished Service Medal from the Russian Parliament. Bill draws from a deep and clear spiritual center. I would like now to invite Bill to dip into that center and tell us something about Abraham's marvelous journey. Bill. Well, it's an enormous pleasure to be here this evening. Uh, and I'm very thankful to Joanne Emerson 
and Lois Capps, and it's an honor to be speaking at a forum in honor of their, their husbands. I'm also grateful to Father Kiley and the Faith and Politics Institute for this opportunity. What I'd like to do is speak to you about the Middle East, and which has, as we all know, become a symbol of impossible conflict. And I'd like to begin, if I may, with a, one of my favorite stories from the Middle East. It's an old ancient story about a man who leaves as his inheritance to his three sons. He leaves them camels. He leaves them, in this case, he leaves them 17 camels. And to the first son, being the oldest, he left half the camels. And the middle son, second son, he left a third of the camels. The youngest son, he left a ninth of the camels. Well, the three sons got into a little bit of a discussion, negotiation about who gets how many camels, and it's not so easy because 17 doesn't divide by two. 17 doesn't divide by three. 17 doesn't divide by nine. They each wanted more, and brotherly tempers started to rise. Uh, struggle was beginning to break out. And in desperation, they went and they consulted a wise old woman. And the wise old woman thought about their problem for a long time. And finally, she came back and she said, well, I don't know if I can help you. I don't know if I can solve your problem. But if you want, I have a camel. So they said, fine. And they took her camel. That meant they had 18 camels. Well, the first son took his half. 18 does divide by two. He took his nine. 18 does, does divide by three. So the second son took his third, which was six. The youngest son took his ninth. 18 divided by nine is two. If you add nine and six, you get 15 plus two, 17. They had one camel left over. They gave it back to the wise old woman. Now, if you think about that story for a moment, I think it resembles a lot of the conflicts we get engaged in, including the conflict in the Middle East, which is we often approach these things like you know, there's 17 camels. There's no way to resolve a particular problem. And somehow what we need to do, as that story indicates, is take a step back from the situation, like that wise old woman, come at it with a new perspective, with a fresh lens, and see if we can come up with an 18th camel. And that's what I'd like to do with you this evening, is describe to you one, one possible 18th camel to see if we can take a fresh lens on this very difficult conflict in the Middle East. As Father Kylie had mentioned, I've, I've had the privilege of serving as a third party in many conflicts around the world, from Sudan to Yugoslavia to South Africa to Northern Ireland to Chechnya to Indonesia. And one key and often overlooked element I find, I've found in, in making progress is imagination. It's the human ability to imagine a more hopeful or more positive future, which is the key. It was key in South Africa. It's key in the progress that's now being made in, in Northern Ireland. And in the Middle East, which is so often associated with despair, I think we, we need a fresh lens. We need something that can inspire our imagination, our moral imagination, our imagination to imagine a world where people can live alongside with each other in mutual respect. And that's, that is the purpose of this Abraham path. Uh, I don't offer it as a solution to the conflict, but rather as a fresh approach that might generate new and unexpected possibilities, a little bit like that 18th camel. There's an old saying that some conflicts are so difficult that they can only be healed by a story. And the story of Abraham 
the story of Sarah and Hagar, the story of Ishmael and Isaac, is, is such a story. It's not an ordinary story. It's a sacred story. It's a founding story for over half of humanity. And maybe now, maybe now's the time to tell that old story in a fresh way, in a way that can bring us together. Because that's the essential message of Abraham. He represents faith, he represents unity, he represents respect for others. So the aim of the Abraham Path Initiative is very simple. It's to inspire and support the opening of a route, a path of tourism and pilgrimage, historical, cultural, religious, that essentially retraces the footsteps of Abraham across the Middle East. For Americans, you might think of it as being a little bit like the Appalachian Trail or the Lewis and Clark National Historic Trail. The, the route is a, uh, the Abraham Path is a route of sustainable tourism. It can be a catalyst for regional economic prosperity. It can be a vehicle for cross-cultural understanding, a platform for youth leadership, for historic preservation of sacred sites and historical sites. It can be a focal point for positive media coverage that highlights the, the hospitable people of the Middle East and the shared heritage of Abraham's children. What I'd like to do is, uh, if we could just have the next slide, though, the map, actually. Yeah, just to give you a little bit of a map uh, of the Middle East. Essentially, Abraham's journey starts uh, either in Ur, which is now in southern Iraq there, or in southern Mesopotamia, or in Urfa, where many people believe he was born as well. They're two kind of rivals or claimants for the birthplace of Abraham. Urfa is in northern Mesopotamia in southern Turkey. And right near Urfa is the city of Haran, which is the place where Abraham hears the call, the call from God to, to go forth, to leave, leave his father's house and go, to, go off on a journey, to go off on a walk. And then Abraham essentially comes down through what is present-day Syria and Lebanon, comes through Aleppo, which is associated with him, Damascus, comes through what is present-day Jordan, Israel, and in the Palestinian territories. He's, he's buried in Al-Halil or Hebron, which is just south of Jerusalem, in the tomb of the patriarchs. And then, for those of you who know your Bible, he goes to Egypt. And for Muslims, they, they believe that he actually goes to Mecca and builds or rebuilds the holiest place for Islam, which is the Kaaba. And the, the Hajj is basically based around Abraham. So the path in its entirety basically integrates, crosses the borders and integrates what we now know of, of the, as the Middle East, which in those days was the lands between two great civilizations, Mesopotamia and Egypt. And he essentially bridged those, those civilizations. What I'd like to do is... Um, the, the path, just to give you a sense of, of, of distance, initially, we think of the Abraham route now beginning in Haran and Urfa, Haran, where Abraham hears the call, covers a total distance of about 700 miles to Hebron, where he's buried, uh, about 1,200 kilometers, linking some of the finest landscapes, historic sites, and holy places of the Middle East in a single itinerary of outstanding beauty and interest. So... Since a picture is worth a thousand words, I'd like to play for you a little short, I'd like to give you a virtual tour of the path, uh, play a little DVD. It's, a, it's about six minutes. It was made by 
local Washingtonian here, Dan, young filmmaker Dan Marks, who just won an Emmy for his work. And uh, I'd like just to, just to play that, because I think you, you'll get a sense of the path from seeing, seeing the pictures of the path. So if we could go to the DVD in just a moment. I see they're bringing it up. And then after the DVD, I'd like to tell you about the practical aspects of opening the path, how we've been studying the path and the steps we're taking to opening the path, even in this uh, difficult time. No greater challenge faces the world today than bridging the gulf of misunderstanding that exists among the children of Abraham. That is the mission of the Abraham Path Initiative, sponsored by the Global Negotiation Project at Harvard University. The Abraham Path Initiative aims to inspire and support the opening of a permanent route of tourism and pilgrimage in the Middle East that retraces the footsteps taken by the prophet Abraham some 4,000 years ago. As a spiritual forefather of Jews, Christians, and Muslims, Abraham is a unifying point for over three billion people on earth, reminding us that we are part of the same family. Abraham symbolizes faith, oneness, and respect towards all. As people travel on foot and by car and bus along the Abraham path, stretching approximately 600 miles or 1,100 kilometers from Haran to Hebron or Al-Halil, they will participate in a grand adventure that reclaims our ancient heritage and shines a light on our common beginnings. Televised images of their journeys will inspire our collective imagination with new possibilities for mutual respect. Footstep by footstep, the path will help create mutual understanding among people, countries, and religions. The Abraham Path unfolds in the region known as the Cradle of Civilization. It begins in present-day Turkey, in the ancient Mesopotamian ruins of Haran, which means meeting point in Turkish, and is the place where Abraham heard the call from God to embark upon a journey into the unknown. The nearby pilgrimage city of Urfa contains a cave believed by many to be the birthplace of Abraham, as well as a great mosque dedicated to Abraham. The route continues across the mighty Euphrates River, and proceeds to the ancient city of Aleppo in Syria, named in honor of Abraham's stay there to milk his cow. The Abraham path then winds its way through the beautiful countryside of Syria and Lebanon, passing by many holy and ancient sites until it arrives in Damascus, one of the great historic capitals of Islam. Damascus is the site of the exquisite Umayyad Mosque, which contains within it a Byzantine church and the tomb of St. John the Baptist. Next, the path proceeds through Jordan, following the King's Highway, the world's oldest continuously used road. It passes by Mount Nebo, where Moses saw the Holy Land from afar, 
and along the banks of the Jordan River, where Jesus received his baptism. Crossing the Jordan, the path proceeds through Jericho, the world's oldest town, and through Nablus, or Shechem, where Abraham paused to build an altar. The path then enters the holy city of Jerusalem, venerated by Jews, Christians, and Muslims alike. It is there that Abraham is believed to have built an altar on which to offer his son to God. From there, the Abraham path passes through Bethlehem, birthplace of Jesus. And finally, the path ends in Hebron, or Al-Halil, which means the friend of God in Hebrew and Arabic. That friend was Abraham. It is here in the cave of the patriarchs that Abraham was buried by his sons Ishmael and Isaac in an act of reconciliation that calls out today for respectful coexistence among their many descendants. It is said that Abraham's tent was open in all four directions, offering hospitality to everyone who came. In much the same way, the Abraham path will serve as a focal point, inviting people everywhere to experience Abraham's spirit of respect and unity. The Abraham path has already begun to inspire Abraham walks and dialogues in cities and towns around the world. It will also lead to sister city relationships between communities in the West and the Middle East. The path can create thousands of new jobs in the tourism sector and bring millions in revenue for the local communities along the way, inspiring hope for the future. It can lead to the restoration of dozens of ancient cultural and religious sites, as well as to the preservation of the local environment. And it can help build confidence between states and peoples and thus contribute to a more peaceful world. There is an old saying that some conflicts are so difficult that only a story can heal them. The story of Abraham has that power. We invite you to join us in this historic initiative to retrace the footsteps of Abraham. Help us create mutual respect and understanding, step by step. Help us build a path where humanity can meet itself. Welcome to the old path of Abraham, a new path for the ages. like to do now is tell you a little bit about the practical aspects and because I can imagine it's a beautiful vision but is it practical uh, is a good question let me just actually begin if I may with just one story um, we've been studying this path and it's the both the obstacles to creating such a path in today's times and the potential the great potential for four years now at Harvard and We've been studying at Harvard. We've been testing out the idea in the various countries in the Middle East and different communities, uh, political, religious, civic, business, and so on. And uh, I remember on one occasion I was in Syria and uh, I, I was consulting with a tourism expert there and I asked him where, you know, where places in Syria are associated with, with Abraham. He said he didn't know, but he would ask. And he, it so happened he had to give a talk 
the following week to a group of mayors, and he put this question to them, do any of you have sites associated with Abraham? And one of them came up to him and said, yes, as a matter of fact, we do, and came up with a site that we hadn't heard of called the Spring of the Bride, which was a um, place where Abraham is believed to have bathed the night before his wedding with Sarah. And apparently it was a place of, of mo- mostly local Christian pilgrimage for centuries, and it had fallen into disrepair. There was a beautiful pond there, and somehow uh, just the place had fallen into disrepair. And it was surrounded by some villages with about 50, 50 different clans, 50 different poor families, farmers living there. And like farmers in many places of, of the developing world, uh, there wasn't uh, that much, to, there wasn't that much to, to, to go on. And so a lot of them were beginning to think we had to sell their lands and move to the slums of the nearest big city. And uh, so the mayor explained this to, to my friend, the tourism expert, and... On that, when he told him about the Abraham path, the mayor said, he, he, the governor happened to be there, the governor of that province, so they, on the spot they got excited about this, so they immediately signed a document appointing a task force of the heads of the local clans to look at what it would take to restore this site, this beautiful site, so it could be on the Abraham path. And my friend, when he went to visit the villagers there, they just on the basis of that letter, they'd formed this task force. On the basis of that letter, they said, we're never going to sell our lands because now our place is going to be on the Abraham path. And that to me was just an instance, a small instance of how a path, a route like that, we all know the power of a route of linking these places can suddenly give hope where there's despair, where there's poverty can suddenly give hope. And I had a chance to go see this myself not only in the Middle East, but this summer I went and looked, uh, went and did some research on another great pilgrimage path in Europe, the, perhaps the greatest pilgrimage path in Europe. The, maybe, maybe many, many of you may know it, the path of Santiago de Compostela, which is of similar length. It's about 900 kilometers. For some people, it's 1,000 kilometers or even longer. And it goes from traditionally from southern France across northern Spain and ends in the city of Compostela. It's the way of St. James because in the, in the cathedral there, it's believed that there's a relic of St. James. And what's amazing about that path is that 50 years ago, maybe 50 people walked that route. You, it, it, St. Francis walked that route back in the Middle Ages. It goes back to the 900s or 1000s. And 50 years ago, maybe 50 people walked that path. Uh, today, over 200,000 people walk it. And the numbers are just going up. There's such a thirst for people to get out and travel. And those are just the people who walk it. There are millions of people who visit it. They just had to open up a nonstop flight from Newark to Compostela, which is not exactly, it's not like Madrid, just to accommodate the interest. The the people are interested in learning about their roots and going back to the past. And the same thing is true even more so about the Middle East, where there are three billion people who trace their, their ancestry, spiritual or, or, uh, or family, to, to the Middle East. And the thirst to go back there is, is, is keen. And so to me, what that brings to mind is, uh, in Spain, what I, because when I was a boy in Europe in the, in the 60s, and I remember Spain at that point was considered a developing country. It was a third world country with an authoritarian dictatorship. And I've watched over a single generation how Spain has become a first world country, how? Through the engine of tourism. Spain just passed last year, France is the most visited 
country on the planet. And you can see it everywhere, the growth. And along the path there, the path, for example, Compostela is just one part of it, but it's amazing how much people are going back to the villages. Young people are staying in the villages because there's life there. The places are being restored. You can see the power of that kind of meaningful, responsible, sustainable tourism. And came to me that in some sense, if you look at the Middle East, tourism, as you know, is one of the great, tourism and travel is one of the greatest economic sectors in the world today. And maybe the Middle East, if you think about it, you know, there are two futures. One is a path of violence. One is terrorism. It's terrorism or tourism. That's the choice. And, and you know, we need to think about how do we build that positive vision? And the Abraham path could be a possible anchor for that. Uh, it certainly has happened in Spain, and I think it can happen again. So what I'd like to do is just tell you a little bit about what we've done to try to make this vision step-by-step step become a reality. Uh, there were a lot of people who said, you can't go down that path. You can't, you can actually, you can't cross those borders. You know, it's not safe. Uh, the governments won't let you, and so on. So we decided we needed to test it. Being Americans, we're pragmatic. We need to test this. So we organized, under the auspices of Harvard, uh, a study tour last November where we brought, if we can go back to the, yeah, keep, keep on going through the slides, please, yeah. Uh, next, next slide, next slide, next, next one. Yeah, right here. Uh, where we had uh, 25 delegates representing 10 different countries from around the world, uh, four different continents, all three Abrahamic faiths. We had scholars, we had religious leaders, we had business people, we had some people, journalists and so on. And we put together a delegation and we said, let's try it. Let's see if you can actually go across all those borders. And we went from Urfa and Haran in southern Turkey and we followed the path by bus. We had meetings and consultations along the way, all the way along the path that you just saw in that video, all the way down to Hebron, uh, to Al-Halil, to the place where Abraham is buried. And we had meetings with political leaders, with the deputy prime minister there in Turkey and the, and the foreign trade minister, to mayors and governors, to religious leaders, to civic leaders, to business leaders, just trying out this idea again and getting enormous resonance. And for us, um, this probably, we, we, we cast it as a study tour, but in some ways, as far as we know, this was maybe the first time in 4,000 years that anyone had intentionally retraced actually the footsteps of Abraham from the womb, the place where he's born, the birth cave, to the tomb, the cave where he's buried with, with Sarah and the other patriarchs and matriarchs. And it was, it was an amazing experience for, for those of us who did it. It went without incident. No one felt, there was no, there was no, there was no unsafety about it. People felt secure. And it, it was amazing, it was amazing. The places were amazing. The heritage of being in touch with these stories that come alive from the Bible and the Quran and the Torah. The, the landscape was magnificent, I would say. And the people, uh, what, what we hadn't realized is that for the people in the Middle East, Abraham is not just a figure out of a, an old book. He's alive in people's hearts to this day. In Haran, uh, the place where Abraham hears the call, I would say half the people were named Ibrahim. Uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 you know, the mayor's name, Ibrahim, you can, and, and people, the, the hospitality, Abraham is really known in the Middle East as a symbol of hospitality. 
when people invite you into their homes, they'll say, sit down in the name of Father Abraham and have, have a meal. And Abraham is known for that. He's known for his hospitality, his respect to others. And, uh, and we certainly experience that on, on this uh, first study tour. So uh, let me just uh, quickly just give you some images, the beginning in San Liorfa and Haran. San Liorfa is there. That's the, I'm sorry, just go back one moment. That's the mosque of, of Ibrahim there, of Al-Halil, Al-Halil, which means the friend, the friend of God. Those uh, B-shaped, that, that's the, the town of, of Haran where he hears the call, the Mesopotamian ruins. Then we went on to uh, Aleppo, which is named, as the DVD mentioned, is named actually after Abraham. And then onto Damascus, the Umayyad Mosque, onto, next slide please. Oh, it, it, actually, in, in, uh, interestingly, in, in Damascus, there in the museum, we found the earliest, actually, image of, of, of Abraham uh, there in the Damascus Museum from an ancient synagogue, actually, uh, from the year 200, from Dura Europus. It's a beautiful image of him depicting the story of him looking beyond, behind the stars and the moon, looking for where the, the one God is. And then, please continue. And then in Amman, we had meetings again uh, with people. And then move on, please. Uh, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, we had another meeting there with, with, uh, with our Palestinian colleagues. We went to Hebron al-Halil, where he's buried there. And, uh, and it was, the resonance was, was amazing. The response was amazing, both within these places. I'll tell you just one, one, one story. Uh, when we finally arrived in Hebron and Al-Halil and visited the tomb there, we were the only visitors there. And uh, as we came out, one of us had thought to, as we took this, this trip, to take a little piece of earth, of soil, from every place that we went from Haran on. So we took a little bit of soil from the, from the ruins in Haran and then in Urfa, by the Euphrates and so on, and, and created a little bag of soil with the thought that they'd bring the soil down to Hebron. And so we were looking around afterwards for a place to place the soil, and there was one little olive tree, one little olive tree outside the tomb. And so we, 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 spr we sprinkled a little bit of soil there and stood around and had a moment of silence. And there was an old gentleman uh, looking at us, uh, and he came up afterwards, he was very curious, he said, he said, what are you doing to my tree? That's my tree. <laughs> what are you putting on my tree? <laughs> Turned out it was his olive tree. And when we explained to him the story that the soil had come from all the places that were associated with Abraham, all the way from the place where Abraham hears the call, he was so moved that he said he would take care of that tree very preciously from now on and take care of the soil. And then he said one other thing. He said, but next time he said, please don't just bring earth, bring people. And that's what we found is people, they, 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 they desperately, tourism is desperately needed there. And uh, so that's, that's the positive resonance that we, that, that we received. And then when people went back, what we found is this inspired, not only our, our trip inspired others to immediately begin planning tours down the same path. There are about six other tours that we know of that are being planned down the same path now. But, uh, but they went back to their own communities, and in their own communities, people said, well, we may not be able to get over to the Middle East right now, but we'd like to walk the Abraham path in our own community. And so what we found, for example, starting actually here in the city of Cincinnati, where a group of people... One Sunday, 300 people got together and 
They, um, they persuaded the mayor to declare it Abraham Day. They then walked and had a service at a church. They walked a few miles and had a service at a synagogue, walked a few miles and had a service at a mosque, and then came and shared a meal together. And they, the four TV stations covered it, and you know, it, was, it was an Abraham walk. They all had their T-shirts, an Abra- Abraham path. And we saw that happening. That was all just inspired. It wasn't something that was just people want to be able to do that. That same thing happened in Dallas, Texas. Uh, there must be a dozen other communities in the United States that have similarly replicated it. It's now happening in Brazil. I'm going down in two weeks because the Brazilians, which has a, an extremely large diaspora of the three religions, want to create uh, an Abraham Path chapter in Brazil, send Brazilians to the Middle East, uh, as well as do walks there in Brazil. It's happening in France. There are plans in Berlin, uh, in South Africa. So the, the, the idea somehow, a very simple idea of just Walking, walking together side by side has uh, captured people's imaginations. And then it also captured, so that, that's Cincinnati right there, the, that, that, that walk I was telling you about. And it also, we, we tried to keep this low profile for a while just not to really attract a lot of press because we wanted to really make sure it was well-grounded. But it began to attract some press. And, and uh, uh, in Turkey, the big national newspapers, uh, in the Gulf News, in uh, the Christian Science Monitor had a front page article about it, you know, Arizona Daily Star, you know, uh, El Arabi, El Arabi, the main, one of the main uh, cable channels. Al Jazeera was interested in it, National Geographic, uh, the Discovery Channel. So there's something about that, the, you know, the potential of this to generate positive images, a different image, a more positive image of, of what the Middle East is and, and what it can be. So the test was, uh, at this point, we were, a study, we were studying the possibility of this, of this path. And at that point, having gotten so much positive feedback, we decided uh, within the last nine months to actually form an organization to really facilitate the possibility for other people to travel the same path. And to really begin the work, you know, if, if it wasn't going to be us, who was going to do it? And if not now, when, so to speak? So, so we began to actually, uh, we, we began to actually map the path. Because part of it, you know, people will, will travel it as people travel other routes by car or by bus. But for a lot of people, they, they want to walk this path. They want to actually feel the, the earth under their, under their under their feet, so we could have the, the, the next, uh, so we began to, we, in the last uh, nine months, we've mapped the first 80 kilometers of the path using Google Earth. This is a Google Earth picture. Believe it or not, right now, with Google Earth, you can go and you can look, you can see every olive tree. You can see the old goat track. So we have mappers, Jordanian mappers, who are looking to find what, what is the most natural trail, the most beautiful trail, the one that encompasses the most sites. And even in this part of northern Jordan, which, as far as we knew, there was nothing particularly associated with Abraham, but right there in the beginning is the birthplace of the prophet Elijah, which is a beautiful place with an old Byzantine fresco. There's the birthplace, the tomb of Joshua. There's the place where, uh, in the valley where Jacob wrestles with the angels. There's, uh, there's Christian villages. There's... Um, there's mosques, there's uh, all the way d- down to Mount Nebo where Moses sees the promised land for the last time or s- from afar where he's buried. So 
already there. And so we're, we're mapping it out. Our we have host committees that are beginning to spring up that are starting to map it out in Turkey, uh, in Israel, in the Palestinian territories. Our Palestinian colleagues have, have started to map it out. Next slide, please. Have, have started to map it out around the city of Bethlehem. Uh, they've already mapped out a one-day segment. So we're beginning to map out segments. Uh, this, in, in two months in Turkey, where the path actually begins, that's a picture of Haran right there, it's a, under that gorgeous arch. Uh, and our Turkish colleagues are planning a, a conference with us uh, on tourism, on the potential tourism and, and the economic aspects of that together with the Turkish government. We've, we've developed support, supportive relationships with the different ministries of tourism along the way. There will be a walk, uh, uh, previous slide please, a walk uh, from a 15 kilometer walk after just, after, we're gonna have the conference and we'll do a 15 kilometer walk, a first pilgrimage ending up under this arch uh, from Urfa to Haran with children and youth and then there will be a concert, uh, just to kind of bring in music and, and make it somewhat fun. So we're doing these kind of rolling launch events, the first one in Turkey. The next one in the spring, what we're planning to do uh, next spring is, next slide please, is, have, uh, is open up the part, that, the 80 kilometers in northern Jordan with a youth walk of youth from around the world to begin to open it up. Because it's really something for youth to really... But it's something for people of all ages, but I think the youth will be the first to actually get down and actually walk. They're walking through the villages, and we have people now working in the different villages explaining to people, because a lot of these villages have never seen tourists, explaining to people what it's all about. Really, this is designed to really um, be locally owned, locally run, just to create all kinds of businesses, bed and breakfasts, and guide services, and so on, to create jobs. Uh, so that's uh, the, the next slide, please. And in the Negev, uh, Beersheba is associated with, with Abraham. And so in the Negev, we're starting to work with some of the Bedouin tribes and with, our, with Israeli archaeologists to develop and map out a, a trail in the Negev. And then, as I mentioned, next slide, please, our colleagues in, uh, in, in Bethlehem, working with Bethlehem University, have already mapped out a day-long walk around the city of Bethlehem. So it's just beginning, step by step. But uh, that's, that's, and, and that's, that's, next slide, please. The idea is that we'll keep on opening up. There's a virtuous circle. We'll keep opening up uh, parts of the path year by year, uh, having more and more tours go down it. Uh, and then there will be publicity, which will bring more tours, enable us to up more segments of the path so it gets built year by year. Understanding that once these paths happen, like the Appalachian Trail, or like Santiago de Compostela, which has been around for over a thousand years, these things can go on for ages, for ages. Because we're not, we're not creating something new. All we're doing is we're dusting off the footsteps of Abraham. We're connecting up the dots. The places already exist there. We're simply create, putting them in a single itinerary that encourages and allows people to visit. And so if I think in the long run, and I ever get pessimistic about the current situation there, I remember Europe uh, well, because I spent a good deal of my childhood there. And, you know, if anyone had been, had been in 1945 and said, you know, 60 years from now, Europe is going to be the most prosperous, peaceful part of the planet, someone would have thought you were absolutely crazy. 
and yet, because Europe had, until then, for the past millennium, Europe was the epicenter of war. But we've watched in the last 60 years as Europe has become, through economic prosperity, through shared identity, has become, uh, has gone through a remarkable transformation. And it's just that kind of economic prosperity and shared identity that the Abraham Path offers. So who can say what will happen in, in, in the long term? Everyone I know, when you talk about the Middle East, always is asking, what's going to happen in the Middle East? Will there ever be peace? And to me, Peter Drucker had the best answer to that question. He said, the best way to predict the future is to create it. So 20 years ago, just to conclude now, 20 years ago, Joseph Campbell, who many of you know as a celebrated specialist on world mythology, he was once asked when he was giving a talk, He's, they asked him, you know, looking for the, the secrets of myths and, the, and the, you know, what might make the world a better place. And he thought about it, and then he gave an answer that was very surprising to the audience. They were expecting him to cite something from Greek mythology or Roman mythology or something. And he just had one word. He said, tourism. And everyone was kind of shocked. But then he elaborated. He said, go out, meet someone new, learn a new language another mythology, another religion. If enough people did just that, we might see the beginning of the end of the demonization of other peoples around the world. So I invite you to join us. Uh, this, is, this Abraham path belongs to all of us, belongs to everyone. In, in the book of Genesis, uh, God says to Abraham, go for a walk and then see what happens. And that's, that's what we're inviting you to do. So I hope you'll walk or visit the path one day, either here or ideally in the Middle East. I hope your children will. I hope your grandchildren will. I hope your great-grandchildren will. There's a lot of work to be done, but like any great journey, it's done step by step. Our motto in this project is less talk, more walk. <laughs> so each of us, I think, can be like that wise old woman contributing her 18th camel. So I hope you'll join us in helping to create the future, in rediscovering the old path of Abraham. My hope is that we will all discover a new path to peace. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.